0: Hello there, I am Jack Kirschman, Deputy Editor here at Hot Topics, and this week's podcast is taking a look at mental health within organisations. Leading the interview is Karen Revoir. She's a contributing editor here at Hot Topics, and also the former Chief Human Resources Officer of Cantar Millwood-Brown. She'll be talking to a world-renowned expert on leadership and human performance, a man called Dr. Alan Watkins, who has imparted wisdom to literally companies of all shapes and sizes. He's taken to the TED stage to share some of his work, and has also worked with Team GB Olympic athletes in the run-up to both London 2012 and Rio 2016. It's a great interview, so enjoy.
1: Hi Alan, great to see you again. Um, we've known each other for over 10 years, which you know, time, time flies, but can you introduce yourself to the audience and talk to us about what inspires you and what you're, or who inspires you and what you're passionate about?
0: Thank you, Karen, and good morning or hello to everybody that's listening to this online. Uh, I'm really delighted to be invited to talk about this hot topic of um, hardwiring mental and emotional well-being. It's a really important topic. So uh, my name is Dr. Alan Watkins. I'm a physician and scientist. Uh, I was working as a um, a physician in the NHS in the UK for the best part of 12 years, uh, but left all that about 18, 20 years ago to set up a business. Uh, that now works with CEOs and leaders around the world and also with elite athletes and schools. Um, And um, one of the reasons for leaving the security of uh, mainstream medicine and then academic research uh, and to set up uh, Complete Coherence, which is my business, uh, was really to try and help reduce human suffering on a much larger scale. Um, It would been my observation as a physician that... um, If you're uh, an admitting physician, as I was, admitting 90 emergencies a day into uh, a hospital, um, there wasn't that much of a difference you could make. You could make a difference on an individual basis, individual people, uh, but you couldn't make a scale play difference. And uh, I felt for my own journey, uh, I'd always wanted to make a scale play difference, reduce human suffering. And one of the many reasons I left was I thought I could probably do that better Uh, out in the world uh, with people who are essentially still reasonably fit and well, as opposed to in a hospital context where people come in at the uh, end of years of uh, uh, sort of uh, disease or uh, mental ill health or whatever. So get up the the other end of the curve and try and prevent some of the problems that then arise. Um, And uh, one of the sort of stories I tell around the sort of mental and emotional well-being uh, um, you know, if we're set up as a business to reduce uh, human suffering, uh, the other side of the coin is the joy of development. So can we create some enlightened leaders in all walks of life? So we sort of take a view that a lot of the suffering that human beings experience is essentially down to poor quality decision-making. Um, so if I give you an example, and this is a, a relatively commercial example... Uh, One of the biggest things that's caused many people to suffer over the last five, uh, ten years is the global financial crisis of 2008. So that was caused by 50 men. um, And it was men, I'm afraid to say. Uh, I know who they are. Uh, We've got 34 names so far. Only one woman, interestingly, in in that group. Um, So uh, these guys took decisions, you know, whether they were in some of the banks and the financial institutions on Wall Street... Uh, on the bond desks, in the rating agencies, in the Federal Reserve. These people took decisions which were financially hugely beneficial to themselves personally, but caused a massive amount of suffering across the planet. So they effectively doubled American debt in one year. Uh, They caused 30 million people to be unemployed globally within one year. And there were hundreds of thousands of suicides globally as people's lives went bankrupt and they lost everything. And they lost their family, they lost their livelihood. So there was untold suffering as a result, as a consequence of decisions made by effectively 50 men. So uh, I sort of take the view that if we can improve the quality of decision making, if we can create more enlightened leadership so people make better decisions, then we could reduce human suffering. Um, And so uh, we work with uh, large multinationals uh, and incredibly passionate because it's tough work to try and help uh, better quality decision-making in big, complex systems where there are lots of people. So some of our clients have hundreds of thousands of employees globally. Uh, So it enabled me to have more of a scale uh, intervention than dealing with, you know, admitting 90 very sick people in a hospital context.
1: Yeah. So that's great to have a company that you've built around a, a perfect piece of human insight. So trying to reduce human suffering at at scale is 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 wonderful so if we come back to the question which is around um mental and emotional well-being so that other people other organizations can really help improve the human suffering that you've set out to reduce Um, let's start by talking about why mental and and emotional well-being um is important for people and then we can talk about why it's important for organizations so so why why is it important
0: Uh, So if you take sort of the the Maslow view, the sort of hierarchy of needs, it's very difficult uh, to get to the top of Maslow's pyramid, the self-actualization, if you're ravaged with anxiety, worry, concern, uh, or mental and emotional problems. It's difficult to become, you know, hugely developed or enlightened if you're angry all the time or if you're anxious all the time. So it's a fundamental blocker. Um, to realising your own potential uh, and living a happy and fulfilled and successful life. So on the journey uh, from what you might say is sort of beginning at complete naivety and ignorance to uh, being enlightened, uh, one of the most important sort of uh, insights uh, or things uh, to develop on that journey is the ability to regulate your own uh, biology and your own emotional state So no matter how clever you are, how smart you are, uh, if you feel threatened by whatever, you know, a threat to your livelihood, a threat to your point of view, a threat to your self-esteem, it can cause a massive amount of turbulence and that very fact uh, alone can constrain you and stop you becoming the person you're capable of being. So that's often a really critical uh, bit of development that human beings have to go through the good news is that it's actually if you really understand what's going on that you can truly transform yourself and your life and your own experience by getting a control or a much greater understanding and then a control of your own uh, mental and emotional experience
1: yeah so that's that and that's that's great and I think for individuals it's really powerful on that journey to to, to enlightenment but what about organizations I've been in roles where um, some people have turned around and said to me, well, that's, you know, a, a doctor needs to look after that or that's, you know, we can't take on the responsibility as an organisation. So why should organisations care more about this emotional and mental well-being uh, topic?
0: Well, organisations are just clusters of people. Um, so uh, at, a, at a straight commercial level, people perform better if they're happy and content. I mean, the evidence is overwhelming. Um, so if you just take a, you know, organizational view uh, of improving profitability, and improving growth, you'll get better profitability, better growth if your people are happier. I mean, it's very, very obvious. Uh, people do not perform well when they're stressed, when they're anxious, when they feel overwhelmed, when they're wo- worried, when it's a volatile market. People don't function at their best in those circumstances. So... Um, Physicians really uh, are there set up from the more extreme end of the market. So, if the anxiety or the depression uh, goes on for a long time or is particularly intense, um, you know, that's where physicians may be required. Uh, but uh, for most human beings, uh, organizations uh, have a huge responsibility, I think. Uh, and the good news is uh, that if they lean into that responsibility, they can make a dramatic difference to the well being of their people. And it's in their interest to do so, because those people will then function better, they'll be happier, uh, and they'll enable the business to grow and thrive and flourish.
1: Yeah. So clearly consequences around uh, better performance, um, and then outside the organisation, as you said earlier, you know, poor decision-making can lead to huge consequences. Outside of the organisation and in society as a as a whole, why do you think it, as it does sound so obvious? Why do you think there is so much stigma around um, emotional well being and particularly mental health um, in organisations?
0: I think largely because it's poorly understood. Um, I mean, most most human beings, most and certainly most executives, live a one dimensional life. Um, so they, it's very easy to get distracted and indeed addicted. Uh, to what you're doing Um, so the attention is almost exclusively on your to-do list and your tasks and your objectives and your goals and stuff out there Um, and so we value ourselves by our success out there Um, and uh, many people don't realize there's another dimension in here Um, so we get addicted to the world of doing the objective rational world of task behavior goals finances and stuff that's out there and many human beings get disconnected from their interior. In fact many executives don't realize they even have an interior. And you can test this by a little simple thought experiment. If you get a, a room full of uh, people and ask them to write down on a flip chart everything they do all day, they'll give you thirty, forty items like that. If you then ask them, Yeah, but what happens on the inside? That question will often baffle them. Uh, you're likely to get them responding by saying, Well what do you mean inside? Um, it, it, leadership is an inside-out game. It starts with who you are as a human being and what kind of human being you bring to your task, you bring to your job, your your target, your goal. Um, but many people's experience at work is they become a human doing. They're just going through a series of tasks, uh, at transactional, and it doesn't feel great. So we've become one-dimensional. we become human doings, not human beings, and we feel that disconnection. Um, and that's one of the reasons there's a stigma around mental emotional health is we're disconnected from our interior and we don't really understand the interior um, and we, society largely prizes exterior achievement wealth, status and so on and doesn't really prize that much interior achievement, the evolution of the self it doesn't really prize that to the same degree as exterior so we don't value it, we don't understand it Uh, we don't know how to soothe ourselves we don't know how to develop ourselves Um, and so in that lack of awareness if there's something going wrong on the inside people get scared or frightened by that because they don't understand it and it's often seen as weakness Uh, what matters is exterior stuff Um, uh, and so that's the the challenge for modern society I think is we've got to take a, a slightly more sophisticated view and realise we're not one-dimensional, we're not human doings, we're human beings. Uh, so there's the, there is the world of doing, there is the world of being, but there's also the world of relating, uh, you know, how we relate. So there's actually three dimensions, what you might call I, my, my being, uh, we, my relationships, and it what I'm doing. So I, we and it. There are actually three dimensions, and these dimensions exist in every moment of our life. If we don't realize there are three dimensions, it's very easy to fall into a sort of lazy stigmatization of turbulence or problems on your interior.
1: So thanks Alan, we already have a great piece of advice for those three-dimensional human beings who are already listening. They can sit down and do the exercise about what people are actually doing and what they're they're thinking or or being um and, and people listening on the live stream um today can actually do that exercise quite easily with their direct team with their leader so that's already a great bit of advice and we'll come back to more uh, advice a bit later so um in the audience there are quite a few tech um uh, leaders and, and people working in tech have, have you seen any specific challenges in that um in that industry um that, that you'd like to talk um to the audience about
0: yeah, yeah. I think tech, the tech sector is really fascinating. In fact, I'm currently writing a book on artificial intelligence and I coach a few uh, CIOs in, in multinationals. Um, so the tech really um, is uh, risky because, number one, it's changing at an incredible pace. There's this sort of uh, exponential curve of change and the tech sector feels that more intensely than many other sectors. Um, and, of course, that creates uncertainty uh, and the pace of change and the confusion and the anxiety around all of that. So it will often trigger a much greater level of anxiety than other market sectors. And there's a huge expectation in the tech sector. Uh, you know, the level of uh, sort of complaint when the tech doesn't work is disproportionate. And everybody just expect it to work. And when it does work, we just forget about it. So there's never the appreciation for when it does work. There's only ever the complaint of when it doesn't work. Um, so the volatility and the expectation is huge, but there's another interesting phenomena that tech is something that's out there, um, and so our unidimensional nature, our tendency to be addicted to the stuff out there, is often exacerbated by the tech. There's this sort of phrase: "I think, therefore, I selfie." You know, that I my whole experience of myself, my interior, is collapsed into an exterior dimension that uh, who I am and what I am is you know, a number of likes on Facebook or it's a selfie that I can post. Um, so we've collapsed the richness of our interior uh, and the beauty of, of our maturity, our morality, our virtue, our consciousness, our identity, our, our ego. That's all collapsed into some exterior picture. Um, and so the tech sector is particularly at risk of that excessive addiction to the exterior Um, and you can't solve some of the problems of mental emotional, which are interior problems you can't solve happiness and well-being and fulfilment with an exterior answer Uh, you have to understand that there is an interior and the work is in here not out there so I think there's some particular specific challenges uh, to the world of tech the good news is that tech can massively help us understand our interior and open us up to a much richer insight and a a development of our interior and a much greater level of happiness and fulfillment we can actually use tech to help us in that way
1: yeah and you're doing just just that as well in 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 your business so besides the the book you're writing the books you've written you've also got an emotional planet app tell us a bit more about that
0: yeah, so our experience was, was just as you can uh, get a room for executives and say, OK, write down everything you do all day and you'll get 30 to 40 items. Turn the page, write down everything that happens inside of you and you'll get complete dumbstruck bafflement and people won't write anything. They won't even know what you're talking about. If you turn the page again and say, write down everything that happens between you and others, they might get trust, they might get rapport. But again, not very much. So on the first part of the exercise, 40 items. Second part of the exercise, zero Uh, third part of the exercise two items so we're it addicted Um, and so uh, when you dig into the interior and say well look let's just talk about uh, thoughts and feelings and as phenomena as interior phenomena there are two of you know many phenomena on the inside of us Um, let's dig into the feeling piece write down everything you felt in the last month and when you get people to do that and again you can do this as an experiment in your team get people to write down everything they felt in the last month um, and give them five minutes, they usually run out after one or two minutes. They'll get about a dozen feelings that they've noticed. And it's usually anxiety, frustration, irritation, disappointment. And then they suddenly realise they're all negative, uh, And then they'll invent a happy one. Um, so, But it's about 12 uh, emotions that people can notice on a regular basis. Uh, and then if you pose the question, well, how many in total do you think there are that it's possible to experience... People are usually surprised by the answer, and the answer is 34,000. It's possible to experience 34,000 different emotional states. And most human beings have about a repertoire of about 12. So one of the reasons we built the Universe of Emotions app was to start to increase the literacy, uh, the emotional literacy, if you will, um, because that's incredibly impoverished in most people's experience. And this is really, really crucial uh, in terms of success at work. Uh, there's this old adage that your IQ might get you hired, but what gets you promoted is your emotional intelligence. So, And part of that is understanding what emotional state you're in. So if you ask somebody, you know, how are you feeling today? Most of the time, people are making that answer up because they don't actually know how they're feeling. They'll just pull out a word out of the air. I feel okay. You know, I don't know. I feel okay. So if you challenge them, well, you you say you feel okay, but... Maybe what you're actually feeling is all right. Or maybe what you're actually feeling is not bad. Or maybe what you're actually feeling is so-so. Do you even know the difference between okay, all right, not bad and so-so? Most people will just look at you dumbstruck again. I don't even know what question you're... What? Because people don't have that discriminant power. They can't tell the difference between these different emotional states. So we built this app to try and help them really start to understand... And we loaded the app up with two thousand emotions. So if you go onto the app and uh, just you can just download this off the app store, um, help you to build your literacy, because if you don't know which planet, which emotional planet you're on, you're lost. Yeah. And every second of every day, every one of us, even as men, you know, we're on some planet. You know, what planet are you on right now? What planet are you on? Are you on delighted? Are you on curious? Are you on frustrated? What planet are you on? And what planet do you want to be on?
1: Um, How can the people function um, help, uh, Alan, in in some of these situations to to understand more about emotions and potentially even help people who are in more uh, difficult stress or or even burnout situations? How can the people function help, in in your view?
0: I think there's a couple of really profoundly important things that the people or the HR function uh, can really lean into. So so what we see in organisations is uh, many organisations turn to the people function for guidance, largely because, uh, you know, in the upper echelons of many organisations, people get to the upper echelons and the leadership cadre through technical competence in a specific uh, area, whether it's the law, finance, marketing, operations, uh, whatever it is, sales perhaps. Um, But they don't come to organisations with degrees in anthropology They don't necessarily understand the anatomy of the ego, the physiology of identity, or any of the really sophisticated yummy stuff. Uh, They haven't been schooled in consciousness research. Um, So they'll turn to the people function for some help and some guidance uh, on these things. So it's really important that people function can help, because that's one of their primary value adds. So I'd say a couple of things is... We see in virtually every organisation, there's a real uh, focus in most people functions on what's called learning and development, L&D. But the level of understanding of the difference between L&D is not great. Um, So people, uh, programmes are set up, leadership programmes are set up. Some organisations send their uh, senior people to Harvard or INSEAD or some of the business schools uh, for development, uh, leadership development. Uh, But it's not actually development. What actually goes on is learning. Now, learning is important. So learning is really the acquisition of skills and knowledge and experience. So you might go for your three-month program uh, at Harvard, uh, and you'll have an experience on campus with other international colleagues. And then we'll fly a luminary in from Google or Silicon Valley to share some of their wisdom, and you acquire knowledge. You may, may even get some skills training. So you acquire skills, knowledge, and experience. But you go into that programme and you come out of that programme the same person, just a bit more knowledgeable, with a little bit more experience. So you haven't actually changed. But uh, what they're not doing is they're not developing. So they go into the programme and come out of the programme basically at the same level, uh, just a bit more knowledgeable, with a bit more experience. So they haven't really changed as a human being. Um, so they haven't developed. So development is really a euphemism for change. So if you honestly look at yourself and think, well, how much have I changed in the last year or two years? Uh, most The answer to that question for most people is not much. In fact, some people paradoxically use that as a badge of honour. You know, this is who I am. I've always been that way. They use a lack of change as a, as a good thing. Uh, so what it's really saying is we, I haven't developed. I've acquired more knowledge, but I haven't really developed. But the real... Uh, advantage the real commercial value add for the people function is to help human beings develop which means they step up to a whole new level of capability that is development and that's profoundly different from learning if you like to think of it learning is a is a horizontal phenomena acquiring more knowledge more skills and development is a vertical phenomena and horizontal isn't vertical you need both you need a bit more knowledge and a bit more technical information and whatever. But the real game changer in a modern VUCA world is you become more capable, you become more able. So the people function really needs to understand really deeply that profound difference between learning and development, between, if you like, adding more apps and upgrading the human operating system. The real commercial value, 80% of the value of any process is in that upgrade, not just in adding more knowledge or more technical capa- capability
1: yeah and that's a great challenge um as well it, it sounds more human as well um so humans also need to upgrade their their operating system so um just one last question on the future alan how do you see um the future will robots be mentally and emotionally um aware will they become um enlightened leaders
0: Well, it's an absolutely fascinating, and this is why I'm writing the book at the moment on an AI, is that most of the commentators, uh, whether it's well-known commentators like Gates uh, or Elon Musk or Stephen Hawkins or uh, people who've written some of the uh, well-known books like Nick Bostrom, uh, are talking about uh, sort of the singularity. uh, Ray Kurzweil uh, popularised that idea of when the machines take over, you know, and they're going to annihilate all of us. So they run a sort of Armageddon scenario, Uh, I'm actually much more optimistic than that. Um, If you get it wrong, there is a definite risk that the machines will become smarter than human beings and they will annihilate us all. So there's definitely a risk of that. But actually, I think, um, ironically, the way that we prevent that and the way that we really harness technology moving forward is to make technology more human. So rather than us becoming more robotic, we make the robots more human because um, one of the chapters we've got in the book is how do you make a computer virus self-aware? How do you actually build a mainframe with morality? So essentially what you're, we, we, I think we should be doing is how do we create an interior in our tech? Because if we don't, if, we, uh, if our tech is simply collapsed into the external dimension and is without morality, is without feeling, without understanding, and without nuance... There is a very high risk uh, that in hyper-rationality the tech will kill us and wipe us all out. Um, so the, the sort of warnings of you know, very clever people like Elon Musk and Stephen Hawking may become true if we don't think about the whole AI evolution differently. The good news again, and there is always good news in this if you look deep enough, uh, is it could be a profound enhancement of humanity's evolution if we get it Right. So we equally are empowering tech to, to annihilate the entire human race, but at the same time, there's a huge opportunity that tech itself could help human evolution accelerate massively.
1: Yes, and that's what we have to, I think, end with as well is that opportunity that we have to augment uh, real human beings uh, rather than rather than the opposite. So, as we close, um, Alan, it's been great talking to you as um, as always. For those who are keen. To follow up on this hot um, topic, what what do you suggest? What would you suggest they read? Uh, what, what are the go-to places um, that, that you'd recommend?
0: Well, we're, we're naturally collaborative, collaborative as an organisation. So if anybody wants to talk to us or email us or get involved in some of the work that we're doing, uh, I'm always very happy to respond to people. Um, so just email me, alan at complete coherencecom Uh, If you want to read uh, more about any of the stuff I'm doing, you can see uh, all of of my books are on Amazon. Uh, If you're interested in the leadership dimension of it, I've written some books on leadership. Uh, The latest one was called 4D Leadership. So go and check that out. There's loads of stuff that I've shared in much more detail in those books. Uh, But just get in touch, uh, reach out, uh, and uh, start to realize that there is so much more you can do to really expand your capability Uh, And you don't have to suffer. You don't have to be uh, shrouded in the stigma of mental and emotional difficulty. You can completely game change your own life if you know how your interior really works. Uh, And so I'd like to leave you with that super sort of upbeat message. Anything is possible if you know how your system really works.
1: Great. I can't add um, any more to that. I think that's great. It's been great talking to you. I hope everybody enjoys the conversation we've just had and the follow up. We'll leave all the links um, on the the broadcast on Hot Topics uh, website. So thank you very much, Alan. Speak soon.
0: Thank you, Karen. It's been a delight.